Good morning. Thank you, Amy, for those songs. I have good memories of those songs. That song, um, I Want to Be a Christian in My Heart, is this, one of the songs that um, I asked to be sung when I got baptized. And um, the last one, True Evangelical Faith, it's interesting that actually those lyrics are based off of um, something that Menno Simons said. And um, I sang that song in choir in high school, and those words have never left me. They're words that um, I can remember all the time. Um, so before we get started today, let's ask the Lord to be with us. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now, and we thank you that we can be here. Father, I just ask that this message today wouldn't just go through one ear and out the next, but that it would permeate our minds, our hearts, and our souls. We give ourselves fully to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Daniel alluded to it, but we are here at the end of the year. It's the last day of 2023. And it's a time to be reflective, but it's also a time to look at the next year. And um, the first six months of this year, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical. So I sort of asked myself what it was that I would want to leave you all with for this upcoming year. Um, a couple weeks ago, we went down to uh, North Carolina. My um, niece was graduating from college down there, and we went to Charlotte is where she graduated at, Charlotte, North Carolina which just also happens to be the home place of Billy Graham and where he grew up. So we went to the Billy Graham Library, and I was just so impressed by it because it kind of had, I don't know what to call it, almost like a museum part where you went to different spots throughout it, and it had a presentation on different parts of Billy Graham's life. And I was just so impressed and so refreshed by his heart for evangelism. Billy Graham, it's argued that he has witnessed to more people at one time than anywhere in human history, than any other person. And the reason for that is because of this technology of television and radio, but also because of his crusades and the live speaking that he did. At one point in his life, he said the most people that he ever spoke to at one time was a million people, is what it was thought that were there in the audience that day. He said it happened in South Korea in, um, on these riverbanks, just as far as he could see, there was people. And um, they took him in a helicopter. I don't know if it was before or after, but anyway, he saw all this huge crowd of people that he was able to share the gospel with. And so as I've been thinking about that, it's something that I want to challenge you all with today is evangelism. Evangelism, by definition, is the spreading of the gospel, and it's either by public preaching or by personal witness. And the only way that we as a church are going to grow is if we can win new people to Christ. And while we know the gospel, do we truly know how to effectively present it? So I want to give three things that we can do, three ways that we can be better evangelists. And um, the three things are, once again, I'm trying to get this to, to kind of be things that we can remember. So 
all of these words start with the same letter. So the first one is introduction. The second one is interaction. And the third one is invitation. I um, am one that, that takes notes when, we're, when uh, I listen to a sermon because it, it helps me remember what was said. And um, I don't know if that's the case for you, um, but today as far as a story in the Bible about evangelism, you all probably know the story in Acts chapter 8 about Philip. He was often called the evangelist. So he kind of has the title of the first evangelist. And we're going to see in this story how he had an opportunity to talk to someone about the Lord. So this first part is the introduction. So let's get into it here. We're going to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip, we see here, he left Jerusalem because he was propelled to go to some Samaria. This is prior to when this is happening, and Philip is in Samaria now. The reason why he left Jerusalem is because he was being persecuted there in the church. And prior to this, we see that he had a ministry in Samaria, and God now is going to send him someplace else. Something that stood, stands out to me in this story is that God has many ways to communicate with us. We see here in this verse that he used an angel of the Lord to talk to Philip. Prior to that, he used persecution for him to go to Samaria. And later on in the story, we're going to see him use his Holy Spirit to communicate with Philip. And that's primarily how the Lord speaks to us and communicates with us in our culture today. Another thing, too, that I want you all to realize is that when God chooses to use somebody to share the gospel, it does not mean that he chooses somebody that isn't busy. Philip was very busy. He chose to use him. And Philip was very much involved in a revival that was going on in Samaria. But God came to him in the midst of this great experience and asked him to leave what he was doing and go do something else. So we can't use busyness as an excuse not to share the gospel. God tells Philip to go to Gaza, which is in the desert. He says to leave this place where, you, where he was having this great influence and go speak to one individual, one man. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were Philip, I would have been scratching my head because, I mean, why would I leave this huge crusade, if you will, to go to one single person? But we see that his immediate response was obedience. It says, and he rose and went. It's simple, immediate obedience. He did what God commanded him to do. God told Philip to leave this big crowd that he was evangelizing to and go to one single person. Kent Hughes, who wrote a great commentary on the book of Acts, said, Put yourself in Philip's place. You're not one of the twelve or even one of the big three, but you really have something in Samaria. Simon, the magician, has been defeated. The entire town thinks your message is God's truth and knows you're from God. It's a happy time, a marvelous revival, and suddenly the Lord tells you to take a hike to, of all places, the desert. 
Philip went from, from an exciting city and a growing congregation to a lonely desert road and a congregation of one person. Now, it would have been easy, I think, for Philip to be discouraged. And on the surface, it would not have made sense for him to do that. I'm sure other people were kind of wondering what in the world he was doing. But I want you to realize that obedience is a key factor of evangelism. And if we can't obey, then we're never going to evangelize. It says that he arose and went. And that simple, simple sentence is the secret to this entire story. If Philip would have argued with the Lord, the rest of the story wouldn't have happened and it wouldn't have meant anything. Philip believed the angel and did not let the illogical nature of this command to keep him from what God wanted him to do. How many of you know the verses from Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 that says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do we recognize the power and the gravity of these verses? And if more pe people in our culture today and in our church could accept and understand this simple truth, how much better off would we be? So Philip has this opportunity to meet a sinner. It says, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. It's interesting how God brings these two people together. Philip is coming from Samaria and his evangelistic crusade, and this eunuch is coming back from Jerusalem where he's been worshiping, trying to find the meaning of life. And God puts them together in the middle of the desert, of a desert road, so that they can have an evangelistic encounter. We're not told what this man knew about Judaism, about God, or about anything, really. All that we're told is that he had come from Ethiopia and had gone to Jerusalem and it was on his way home. Now, if you look at a map, that's a journey of about 1,200 miles. That'd be like traveling from New York City to Miami, Florida. So he was really intense about finding some answers to his life. Another thing that we can notice about this man is that he was a man of great responsibility under the leadership of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Candace is not the name of a person like it is today. The word Candace in the New Testament here is like the word Pharaoh in the Old Testament. This woman was the Candace of Ethiopia. She was the Pharaoh, the woman of honor, the queen of Ethiopia. So this Ethiopian eunuch that God sent Philip was her finance minister. He was a highly regarded person with a great deal of wealth. And apparently, there was an emptiness in his life because he didn't have the answers to the questions about his life. He was seeking truth, like many of the people that you and I know today, who have all the things that life can offer, all the material things, but they can't find any peace in their heart. He had made this long journey to Jerusalem, the holy city, hoping to find some answers to the need of his heart. And now he is on his way back and that's when he meets Philip, the evangelist. It's amazing how this story unfolds. 
His chariot, which is probably a four-wheeled covered vehicle like an ox cart, would have been large enough to accommodate the eunuch and his driver. And the Bible says that while he's riding in his chariot, he was reading from the scripture. Reading aloud was actually a common practice in ancient times because the writings were on a scroll and they didn't have any verbs or separation of sentences. So they read out loud to get clarity and an understanding as to what was written on the scroll. And then Philip had to catch up with this chariot. The eunuch eunuch was undoubtedly traveling in a large caravan of people because he was a wealthy man with a great deal of position. So we come to verse 28. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. The eunuch opens the word of God. And you've got to ask yourself a couple questions here. How in the world did he find a scroll, the book of Isaiah? Where, where would he have gotten that? He's from Ethiopia, and he obviously would have had any access to anything like that in his homeland. But um, he's traveling from Jerusalem, so most likely he probably got it in Jerusalem. Scrolls were very expensive because there wasn't very many of them. Um, But he was a man of great wealth, so he most likely had to purchase the scroll. And now the whole scene is ready, and the introduction, the first part, is over. Now let's watch what happens as God brings these two people together. So we've had the introduction, and now we're going to see the interaction. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the chapter that the eunuch was reading from was Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 7. God had the eunuch in the right place at the right time, ready to meet the right person and reading scripture in the right place. You couldn't open the book of Isaiah to a better place than Isaiah chapter 53 if you're going to preach the gospel to someone. Many people even today who witness to Jews witness to them from Isaiah 53. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. These words from Isaiah prophetically spoke of the trial of Jesus before Pilate of his silence before his accusers and his shameful treatment by the rulers, and of his slaughter as a lamb on the cross for all of us. Philip was able to grab hold of where this man was in the Old Testament, and from where he was reading, he could start to present the gospel to him, the prophecy of which was going to be the salvation of this man's soul. This passage of scripture has been omitted from current Jewish temple readings. And the reason why they leave it out is because they know that this is the passage of Scripture that Christians go to to present the gospel to the Jews. The problem that many Jews have is that they don't recognize that the Messiah who is coming to set up his kingdom is the same Messiah or the same person as the suffering servant. They think that they're two different people. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I want you all to recognize that this question that the eunuch asked was placed on his heart by God. God was the one who left the door wide open for Philip to share the gospel. We think that somehow we have to be the one to open the door when really all we have to do is ask God to make us sensitive to the opportunity he places before us. Witnessing is not about cornering someone and jamming the whole presentation down their throat. Witnessing is really about interaction. We bring people to Christ by interacting with them, by answering their questions, getting to know them and where they're coming from, and then explaining the gospel to them. And this is exactly what Philip did. He transitioned from Isaiah to Jesus, which is who the eunuch was looking for. The one who had, came, who had come for his salvation. Philip left everything he was doing and ran to this individual man to share the gospel with him. It's so amazing that he ran to him. He didn't waste any time. Okay, so now we, we've had the second part. We've had the introduction. We've had the interaction. And now we're going to see the third part, which is the invitation. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I don't know how in the world this eunuch would have known about baptism, but I'm assuming that Philip must have told him at some point in their conversation. Also, remember where they are here. They're in the desert. How did they conveniently come to a place of water? There aren't too many places of water in the desert. I believe that God must have made this happen. When they go to the water, the eunuch asked Philip, is there any reason why I can't be baptized? And Philip gave him the answer that we should all give if someone asks if they can be baptized. He gives him a simple answer. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you may. This is an illustration of a believer's baptism. Philip asked him a question as to whether or not he was a believer, and his answer determined if he would allow him to be baptized. Baptism is for believers, for those who have accepted Christ. He asked him if he believed, and his answer was that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And as they got to the water, Philip is going to have the honor of baptizing this new believer. Everything in the eunuch's life had led him to this point, and nothing was wasted. And the same thing is true for you all. Everything about this situation and your situation is orchestrated by God. You see, for the eunuch, his education allowed him to read. Not everybody could read in those times. His scholarship allowed him to read the language of the Jews, which was most likely Aramaic. His position allowed him to travel to Jerusalem. His wealth allowed him to purchase the scroll. His interest in Judaism drew him to Jerusalem. And his apparent disappointment with Judaism propelled him to continue searching for answers.
Another thing that we recognize here for these verses, let's continue reading on again here. The eunuch, he had commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And he went, and they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and he went on. And the, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. It says here that there, there must, have, it must have not just been a little bit of water because he went down into the water and came up out of the water. This is the way that baptism was actually practiced in the New Testament by immersion. The word baptism literally means to dip. Baptism is the outward expression of an inward experience. That's the definition that we give baptism. Baptism before salvation like infant baptism, is, meaning, is, is not meaningful. And this is why we don't practice infant baptism. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Our salvation is a picture of our old life being buried and our new life in Christ. Baptism is a picture of what has already happened in your heart. And that's what happened here. The eunuch genuinely believes in Christ and has now passed from death to life. Another thing to notice here is that baptism is the first command that God gives us as new believers. It's the first act of obedience that we can do as new believers is be baptized. We don't need to be wasting time when someone says that they believe they should be baptized. There shouldn't be a gap of, you know, you hear sometimes people wait 15 years before they, they get baptized. And if, if you can't even obey the first command that God gives you, you're going to have a hard time obeying anything after that. The Bible says to believe and be baptized. The eunuch then went on his way rejoicing. And this is evidence that the eunuch was changed. Philip got to see God at work that day. And who knows what influence the eunuch had on Philip's life. But the Bible doesn't tell us this, but secular reports say that this eunuch actually went on to become the bishop of the Ethiopian church. So what's our take home from these three principles of evangelism? First of all, I think that immediate obedience without questioning God is necessary. God knows what's best. Be obedient to the call that each one of us has to be fishers of men and to make disciples. Watch what God will do when we're obedient to sharing the gospel. Do it now. Don't wait. How many of you know that sometime usually ends up being no time? Nothing The second thing I think that we can take away is that nothing can place a person beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have this Ethiopian who came from a whole different part of the world, a whole different ethnic background. The gospel is all-inclusive. It's for everyone, no matter who they are or what they've done or what language they speak or what their ethnic background is. The gospel is for the whole world. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. And the third thing, and I love this point here that this story teaches us is the importance of one single individual to Jesus Christ. 
God doesn't consider someone too busy to deal with one soul. He called Philip out of a crusade to deal with one individual. Remember what Christ did for you as an individual. He came from being with his father and ran to you. Your soul was important enough for him to die for. So go and share the good news of Christ's love to those individuals that God places in your life.